0: Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Natasha Brody. Very nice to speak to you again.
1: Nice to be connected again, finally. it's been—I think it's been a, I think it's been two, two and a half years.
0: It, it must have been, yeah. And, and you're currently in Ecuador, is
1: that
0: right? Ecuador. Right. right. Yeah, in Ecuador. And we've we've had some connectivity issues this morning as well.
1: Yeah, so the last I think it's four days now. Um, the government seems to be working on the country's powers. So just random times, you know, it decides to shut off for a good four to six hours.
0: <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> I'm a delight.
1: Working right now.
0: But is is it right that you're leaving there and moving somewhere else in a couple of days?
1: Um, partially. so um, I'm leaving due to some visa requirements that I need to get back from the United States, and I have a good two months before I need to be back.
0: But right. since my
1: life is all over the place, and i'm now that I'm done with my book, i'm I'm applying back to uh, um I'm applying for jobs back in my um my field in the u n. Um I'm not entirely certain what next year is going to look like. I might be back here in Ecuador um as for the moment, I'm just going to, you know, celebrate the ending of this two and a half year writing journey by going <laughs> and seeing my family in the UK and seeing some of my best friends in France. And then I'll figure out life afterwards.
0: Well, it, to, to put uh, all of this into context, the last time we spoke, we were uh, speaking about your book, uh, Give Me Tea, Please, which was... Mm-hmm your observations on various communication strategies and uh, cultures uh, from your travels around the world, from your time at the UN and uh, in Russia and France and what is it, Egypt, I think. Egypt as well, yeah.
1: Well, um, well uh,
0: Today, we're going to be speaking about your new book. And I, I thought the best way to, to start this, um, normally we uh, reference the title of the paper and we give some kind of background to it so could you give us some background to this book and how the the concept of it
1: yeah sure so this book is called swag art the art of professional schmoozing at job interviews and i intended the book to be a three volume set so volume two and three haven't been written um yet they've been planned not written Two focuses on the CV and three focuses on the cover letter. My intention for this book was to take all that I have learned by sitting countless interviews. I mean, I have an internal debate with myself to if when if I really go deep down into my gut, it feels like. I've probably sat something close to about 3000 interviews without making that an exaggeration. But because I could never prove that since I had no intention of ever writing a book 20 years when I started interviewing 20 years ago. So I kind of just put in my book to, you know, if if I had to just go back to maybe documentation that I have within the last 10 years, it would definitely be at least a thousand. That is beyond verified for me. So I wanted to take all of that experience that I felt couldn't be gained from going online and reading these kind of motivational sort of articles that just seem so general. The more you interviewed, the more you realized it's almost as though some motivational speaker has some kind of other expertise and pulls from that other expertise expertise to say things like, you know, you just got to You gotta just have confidence. Like it's not specific. The book that I wrote, I pull no punches. I am extremely specific about exactly what people should do. It's even breaking it down into social groups. How I've been treated as a woman, have I been how I've been treated as a black woman, how I've been treated as someone who looks very young, even though I'm knocking on you know the door of 40. So it's it's a very intimate a very honest, a very transparent book about literally every single thing that I know and that I believe others need to know about how to enter into the interview space in order to get not just the jobs that you want, but also to do the kind of high flying to get the high profile jobs that you want with the stipulation that you do not have a backdoor access None of the jobs I have ever had gave me a backdoor access to it. I didn't know somebody who knew somebody who knew someone. I went online like everyone else in the world who doesn't have those connections spent two to three days filling out an application trying to make my thing look perfect and then submitting it so when I say I have two decades of experience doing this i'm very I'm very uh, serious about that i'm I really literally spent days upon hours upon hours upon days upon weeks upon months trying to get ahead and trying to climb those career ladders and I understand what works now and what doesn't work now especially in the interview space. So this book is almost like my memoir of interviewing what people need to know in order to not only just approach the interview but how to ensure that you have the best chance of seeing you know the dotted line to that contract putting your nice little John Hancock on that on that Mm -hmm. signature line so that is my attention for this
0: book. So the interview is a is a very particular space it's a very particular uh, kind of genre of interaction because Mm -hmm. it's the interviewer trying to work out within 10, 15 minutes exactly who you are and if you work for the company, but also you trying to use that 10 to 15 minutes to the maximum uh, of your potential. I come at this from the um, direction of, uh, I used to work for IELTS and I'm uh, allowed to say that now because it's in the past. And I once a month interview 15 people every month and I did it for 10 years. And that, and each interview lasted no longer than 14 minutes and in that 14 minutes you had to uh, decide on possibly a person's future so whether they were going to be able to go and study abroad whether they're going to get the university course that they wanted whether they were going to uh, get the score that they needed in their job Mm -hmm. so it's a very particular genre of interaction could you give us uh, an overview of what you think are um some key points that people should do, perhaps if they're approaching their first interview,
1: yeah, so i'll I can do that really easily. i I gave a talk about this when I was living in Paris a few years ago, and it really was a motivation for writing this book. the If I had to break it down into a one to two minute pitch, I would say, the thing you want to make sure that you do in interviews is be. Concise and be unique. In my book, I say uniqueness DNA, meaning that every single my personal belief is every person on this planet is unique, has one at least one unique quality. And so if you know how to tap into your past and link it to your motivations as to why you want to do whatever job it is you're interviewing for, there isn't a need. To lie your way through the interview, you can literally take from your past experiences, use strategic language and communication, and through that express why you are possibly the best candidate for the job or one of the top candidates for the job, depending on when you know where you where they've done the sift for you. So to do that, to be to be unique and to be concise, very brief. You want to focus on two things saying how you have done something, how you did it in your past. And when you explain how, you must use the word by. And by using the word by, you get to highlight your skill sets, two, three, three different skill sets that are the most important for that job. And keeping within that kind of system is where you begin to flush out your your neat, your uniqueness, the qualities that you can bring to a company specifically for exposition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a really kind of blazed over mm, summary of, you know, swag art, But I get much more into depth on each of those stages.
0: So you're referring to the point of the book called Uniqueness, DNA, a God-given trait to all. Yes. Um, if if this was an interview, well, this is an interview. But if this was an interview uh, for a for a position, what would you say makes you uniquely able to write a book of this sort? Uh, you you've mentioned your thousands of interviews. That might be uh, a u- unique point. Is there anything else uh, from your background that um, maybe came out through the writing process that you think uh, you've you've demonstrated in this book?
1: That is a really good question. Um I hope I can do the honor of answering it. Well, I would say I I would say because I started in the workforce at a very young age. I was a still I was still a teenager. I think I was 15 um what I wrote in the book 15 or 16. Because I started at a young age, um I never stopped since I started. And coupled with my type of personality the one thing my mother said about me was that um she knew i spoke well mm-hmm. that was one of my saving graces in life knowing that i could speak well i didn't know i could speak, speak well i just knew i had confidence <laughs> probably too much confidence in things, but i knew I, I knew i had that confidence but now you know growing older i can see what my mother was seeing that i possibly couldn't see back then So starting at a young age and being able to speak well with confidence was something that allowed me to ascend that career ladder quite quickly because I knew exactly what I could do and what I couldn't do. And I was very comfortable saying what I could do and expressing it and justifying it because I started well, there wasn't, from what I remember, because I was trying to put this in the book, from what I remember, I really don't remember feeling like oh I have to lie about something I was so young in these positions that I was applying for that the person with whom I was sitting the interview usually was shocked they were like you you go to where and you do what and how like it was usually shocked so I never had that pressure really I don't think I have I mean I'm sure somewhere down the road I must have but I honestly can't think of anything like that The culmination of those together, being able to write well, um, being able to speak well, being able to have confidence and owning what it was that I did, those together really helped in writing this book. One time, a friend of mine said that I write the exact same way that I speak. Mm -hmm. And you and I are language teachers. I've taught English before in the past, even though I'm not doing it now, but I've taught English in the past, and that period when I've when I've sat down and taught English and had to break down, you know, our language, I mm. really understood the components <laughs> to what makes a successful sentence in the English language. Right. The culmination of those together is possibly what makes my point of view for this book a little bit um, more clear. And then, of course, having the experience working in the international space, it's a coveted space. I'm not going to try to use arrogance and pretend I don't know that. I know it's a coveted space. 44,000 people work in the United Nations system, approximately. It is a coveted space, and it's tiny, and it's hard to get into. I wanted to put some light into what it meant to try to pursue a career in that field, but also if you don't want to do international affairs, doesn't mean swag arts isn't for you. It is It is a book that has been written about what it's like interviewing for high profile jobs in general. For that is mm. what I've done, whether it was inside of the UN space or just outside of it in general kind of work.
0: Well, I, I, I would say that um, you've, you've picked up on something. We're going to uh, go into this uh, uniqueness DNA. Uh, something that i if we're going to go into the conversation about language teaching or at least Mm. kind of trying to counsel other people uh, in Mm. order to get better at this skill i think it is at the word confidence because it's the one thing really that changes everything else about your performance whether it's in a language teaching interview language class Uh, a job interview but it's kind of the one thing that you can't really teach so the ability to sit and uh speak and uh, try to be like peer-to-peer
1: with someone
0: from whom you want to receive a job uh it's not something that you can actually teach it only comes from experience in in my opinion yes so uh, do you think that you know starting work at uh, fifteen and and having these experiences um, gave you, uh, you know, the the you know the, the fabled ten thousand hours of back of experience that you needed uh, to have the confidence that you have to write the book that you did?
1: I think it played a part, but I would not shine so much light on it. I don't think so, and I even touch upon this in my book. That confidence that you're talking about, I think the way that I've seen it play out is when you have a social circle that is genuine, genuine family members, genuine friends, the ones that actually want to see you succeed and not secretly wish for your failure that social circle if you don't have one I encourage you to build one because that is where I think my confidence has always rested I think that's the foundation of my confidence in addition to my spirituality my faith and my religion those two together I think that because I had such a strong had wrong tense because I have had such a strong social circle the times when I would apply for jobs apply for jobs apply for jobs and it just wouldn't come through my Mm. way I would sit interviews after interviews after interviews and I mean this is years after interviewing we're talking about even up to Paris or even when I was in Russia or right before I came in New York and I wasn't really getting the interviews that I wanted and the interviews that I did get I turned a lot of them down that's a lot for one person to handle. I was in a a relationship during part of that time. So part of that was easy. And then part of that time I was not in a relationship and that part was really difficult, but the social circle was there and they reinforced my encouragement and they reinforced who I was, what I wanted, what I knew I could do. Like they were really that reinforcement lifeline that is where my encouragement comes from. That is where my confidence comes from. And so when I think of it or translate it even into something like learning a language, I was in Russia trying to improve my Russian speaking skills. Again, my, the friends that I made in Russia, I was like, just you know, completely frustrated with this language because it was so difficult for me and it still is. And again, that kind of reinforcement, that kind of carrying, you know, that they're like holding you by your hands so you don't fall apart or at least for me that is where my confidence comes from to to keep trying so I wanted to express that in my my book by by any means possible by literally saying some of what I've just said now and trying to reinforce this idea that you can get all the interview. You can be doing everything right with your cover letter and CV and then getting sifted for these interviews. Great. Mm, mm, But mm. if you rely only on your CV and your cover letter to put you through to the contract, most likely it won't happen. Mm. That's where the confidence comes in during your interview. And if you fall apart or you don't know who you are or you try to use these kind of lie schemes and then you forget what your lie was and you try to change into something. If you try to not exist in the space of who you are and and what you know you can do that confidence is it is it is clear to everyone watching you that you don't have it and you don't have to use pomposity which is something that i talk about in my book you just have to know what you've done and own it you don't have to be like oh i'm the best person and doing i mean come on no there's so many people there are eight million people on this planet Mm. This, it's really unlikely you are going to be the best at whatever it is you think you are good at. So if you come knowing who you are and what you're comfortable doing and what you're not comfortable doing, your strengths and your weaknesses, the confidence builds so that you can do and perform in your interview quite well.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I always carry with me. I mean, you, you said that uh, um, your faith is very important. And the and I remember in your in your previous book, you included um, certain biblical verses to start your mm. um, chapters. And uh, I shared with you last time uh, one of my favorites from the book of Psalms, which, uh, you know, how much greater or how much more valuable, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but basically the idea how much more valuable than gold or silver is knowledge and wisdom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so with, with knowledge and wisdom, experience and confidence the gold and the silver will come, if all you value is monetary, then you're not going to put your best self across because you're not going to be uh, focused on the things uh, that you you should be talking about. Um, so to pick out something from the book, uh, a section of your book is the difference between confident, cocky and comfortable and the question of where are the boundaries? And I think you picked up on some of these points uh, already that come from uh, confidence and Is there anything that someone at the start of their career or the start of their journey into the interview, um, any ways that they can relax and uh, actually, as you say, put across their best self? Do you have any relaxation techniques?
1: Yeah, so I highlight two um, in that book. The first one I highlight is to have a mantra Find a mantra that puts you into the right state of mind. That's the easiest way to say it. Mm -hmm. And further to that point, keep your mantra private. I was working for a South African um, connoisseur at a wine bar, and he's the one who taught me about um, mantras. And when I was I asked him, what's your mantra? I was in my early 20s and he's like, oh, mm -mm. we don't don't actually share mantras. And he was explaining Mm -hmm. this idea about protecting your mantra. In short, this is how I would say it if I were to translate it into the Natasha way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Your mantra is supposed to be some part that is an extension of who you are that's very much protected. And if you expose that part to the wide world out there, We don't live in a kind, loving, caring, you know, Mr. Rogers neighborhood kind of world. There are devils that are at play as well. And so the ones who wish to cause you harm by manipulating your mantra against you, they will 100% do it, especially on the career ladder, especially in the interview space. So instead you find a mantra that keeps you calm and puts you into the right state of mind and you practice saying this mantra and meditating on this mantra as you physically approach your interview. I do this mm. literally mm. every single time I am a, I'm about to have a, an interview, and the moment I think of my mantra and practice it, I calm I calm down.
0: The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is um, just the kind of how important your uh, how important the support system is. You've mentioned your family, you've mentioned your friends. Um, but professionally, how important is it for you to, you know, when you move from one job to another to feel that you've done a good job in the first in the first job and then feel that you deserve the second job? And, I, and I've, I've, I've worked in at various places in the past and uh, I've um, helped colleagues practice and prepare for uh, jobs that would take them away from me and that they wanted to move to another city they wanted to move to another uh, university um are there are there any good practice questions that you as a colleague can ask someone else to kind of think about to put them into the mind space of being in an interview uh are there any recommendations that you can give that uh, would be good kind of practice questions for kind of replicating the the stress and the pressure of being in an interview like what kind of questions should they expect
1: so for that last part um i do address that as well i me personally i find mock interviews the least effective ways to prepare for an interview and the reason is because whoever is conducting that mock interview for you Even if you don't know the person, it is in a safe, controlled environment. You know nothing's going to happen. So what I say in my book is I present strategies about how to prepare for these kind of pop-up questions that you don't know what's going to be asked next by getting interviews, which someone could say, okay, well, if I could get interviews and I wouldn't be reading this book, that's not what I mean. You want to seek out interview practice by getting interviews with companies or places that you know you can get and you do not want. So for example, I remember there was a few times, maybe during the summer and um, I can't, I'm can't. i sorry, during the summer of a college year, and I can't remember, probably a spring and summer when I was um, entering into the UN uh, workforce that I was applying this technique really aggressively i would apply for jobs at not hotels at retail stores uh with different offices doing um assistant level work etc all these things that i didn't want and i knew my cv could get i knew i could Mm -hmm. get it would get interviews like this and then i would go to these interviews that i knew i didn't want so there was no pressure And they're firing away questions. I have no idea what they're going to ask. And I'm practicing responding without any fear because I don't want the the interview. I don't want the the job. So when when I did that, I noticed that when I did have an interview for a job that I did want, I was so calm. And so many of those questions had already been asked in so many different ways. So I was prepared for these interviews that were maybe more polished or more in my field, etc. That is the strategy I put towards anyone who wants to kind of practice how you can begin responding on cue for these questions that you don't know what's going to be coming your way. Find the jobs that you know you can can get. Apply for McDonald's. They're always looking for people. Your grocery store. They're always looking for people. Low-key office work, local office work. They're always looking for people. The jobs that have high turnover rates, you apply to them and practice interviewing with them, even though you know you don't want the job, and practice responding and speaking fluidly. It helps a lot.
0: I would agree. And again, it, it's a way to getting to that uh, experience that you, you can't get literally any other way. Um, I want to ask exactly. you about your experience of being in uh, interviews, um, particularly um, how to deal with negative experiences. I mean, to give you an example, I've been in a job interview where two of the interviewers got into an argument and I just had to sit there until they dealt with it. Uh, I've been right. in a, an interview where... Uh, I was told that there had been a number of attacks on members of staff, and would I be okay to handle that?
1: In what capacity, uh, as a manager or just a peer?
0: As a teacher.
1: Oh, Jesus!
0: Yeah, well, I know. That's <laughs> know But uh, I, it was one of those things of like, and and then they offered me the job, and like, okay, well, I'll think about it. <laughs> um, do Do you have any? anecdotes of uh, negative experiences and uh, do, you, do you think that negative experiences in a in a job interview are perhaps as important as positive experiences
1: oh absolutely yes to that last part do, do i have any experience doing negative interviews loads which i cover I don't know if I should share any on this uh, to keep it all light and happy, well, well, please, but please, it, please
0: it, feel feel free to to skip this and move on to something no, else. No, no, but...
1: but just to, just 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 to to bring it all together because it is a very important question. How do you handle the negative experiences? Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. it's the wrong questions that are being asked or inappropriate questions being asked. Right,
0: right, yes. But like
1: you're saying, yeah. Or like you said, you you have to watch something happen before you and you don't even have anything to do with it. Mm. One, you have to remain professional. Now, what does that mean? That means having absolutely no expression on your face. It has to be relaxed. And your body language has to also be still approachable and relaxed. It can't be stiff and tightened. It can't show any kind of signs of being repulsed by what you see. You really do have to be as relaxed as possible, which is difficult, and therefore that's why I say find a mantra. Uh, mm-hmm. In in addition to that, there are different types of negative experiences. You've mentioned some. I mean, they express that people are hurting each other physically. That's to say, I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> sat in an interview where I could say I've had that said to me. But the others, but I've yeah, it, it,
0: it did kind of come out of left field. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't. <laughs>
1: That's bizarre. There are different. There are different negative experiences, and so for those different negative experiences, I highlight racial ones, ones based on sexism, mm-hmm. ones based on inappropriate language in general, and then those kind of. Even though it's not really what you're saying, it's more like the difficult questions that you don't really know how to answer. I each of those have a very particular way of answering. It, I think so. I cover them individually, like how do you handle those type of questions? But if I had to group, if I had to group it all in one kind of singular response, it is to show absolutely no kind of uh, repulsion by what it is that you have just heard or experienced. Um, with a stipulation, and that stipulation for me is racism. It's my it's my red line. And then there is also the, you know, you have to still remain relaxed and poised because there are times when the interviewer might not know what they have just done. Like they might genuinely not know that they right. came off in a way that's, impro- that's inappropriate. And if you want that job, the last thing that you want to do is show that you were offended by an action that someone probably didn't even know that they were causing. In addition to that, the person interviewing you, you might not even be working with them. If you get the job, it might be something completely different some other place, completely different. So you really want to exercise forms of professionalism. And I say, do that until, and only until one of your red lines has been crossed. If there was something that you feel is an indication about what your life is going to be like at that job that will impact you negatively negatively on your physical health your mental health your emotional health I don't care what it is if you know that a red line of yours has been crossed Mm -hmm. that red line own it I know where my red line is after two decades of sitting through this kind of performance my red line is racism I can't Mm -hmm. handle it Well, I don't i don't like handling it but i will handle it in an interview space i don't enjoy the the experience of having to be shocked by this experience or being shocked by these words or language or attitude but i will handle it there knowing i will not get that job and i'm okay with that now before i wasn't before i'd be like okay well i kind of need the money so fine But I am to this point where I'm so fed up with how that has transpired in the world politics we see today, that for me, that's my red line. That might not be a red line for others, and it could be Mm -hmm. something else that's completely different. So as I wrote in my book, before you even get to the interview space, before you even start interviewing, know where you will tolerate shenanigans and where you won't tolerate it know where those red lines are for Hmm. you only you have to sleep with yourself at night in your own head know where those red lines are for you and then handle those negative situations as per your red lines or as per professionalism dictates
0: there have been uh you know issues beyond the, the things that i don't want to really share sometimes with Interviews with people who I've known for years, and as you said, mm-hmm. you need to be need to know the difference between what is, as you say, a red line, or is just shenanigans. It's just things things that are exactly. going on, and uh, things that, as you say, you can live with if you worked at the company, and things that you absolutely can't. Um, I'd like to go on to ask you about the process of writing. Uh your book because I know that uh there are you know several of our listeners who are in the process of planning to write a book or have written a book um and are planning to do so again or maybe they're, they're already writing it uh, how did you approach this being this is your second book is that correct
1: second yeah
0: yeah so how did you approach this um book project uh maybe differently from what you did before? What did you learn from the process of the first one? Did you find it uh, easier or more difficult given the content? I I, I don't know, how, how did you find um, the process of actually writing this book?
1: I even covered this in the book. So I really did write <laughs> my entire heart out in this book for two and a half years. So I, I had just finished a contract um, with UNESCO. And these kind of ideas had been in my head for, if not months, a few years. When I sat down at the end of that contract and decided I I, I wanna put my knowledge in a book, Um, and that time I thought it was just going to be one book. I remember waking up in the morning starting my outline and I did not stop until it was finished 10 hours of just writing out this outline it was just flowing out of me that is the best way to describe this sensory experience it was just it was literally coming out of me like flowing water I knew exactly what I wanted to write exactly how I wanted to write it I knew the chapter heads before they even existed in type space. I knew it all. It was because of all of those years of interviewing, I already knew what it was that I wanted to communicate. And because of the way that I think as a person, I'm quite methodological, my outline came out like that. Mm. So that's how I approached this one. My first book I had an idea of what I wanted and I was working with non-native English speaking clients, like you were saying earlier. So I was putting, you know, things together and moving it around. Like, I have no idea, just moving it around like a kind of puzzle and trying to figure it out. But Mm -hmm. this one, this one was highly methodological. I had an outline. The outline really didn't change. It just expanded. And I decided to break the outline into three, Huge parts and those parts are now books. So I would mm. say that's how I approached it this time versus the other one at least.
0: Mm. And is there a way that then you approached filling in the content? Because the outline gives you that guide of what uh of what you want to say, but did you do it in a way that uh, you, you set aside Two or three hours per day to write and then maybe an hour to edit or did you only do it at weekends and then use the week to kind of consider and think about um what things you wanted to write uh, did you have a did you have a process like that i mean you say you're very methodological was there any particular space you had to be any did you listen to music what, what was your process for actually filling out the content
1: That is a very good question. That part was not very much based on a mythology. mythology (laughs) I am very um, emotional and I would say sensitive in the way I write and speak. And like I said before, a friend pointed out years ago, I write exactly as I speak. That's true. if the passion is there in that moment i will stop whatever it is that i'm doing and i'll write mm-hmm. and that's why i had to take off time from work because i was trying to do this with that job and it was not coming out it was my job at unesco i was covering you know i was covering events about journalists and the safety of journalists with a particular emphasis on women journalists and how they were abused or killed in the field To go from that topic, which I'm writing about for 10 hours a day, and then move into my interview, which has no emotional kind of connection, it was jarring. My my work was so emotionally draining for me, it wasn't going to happen. So I took time off work. I planned for two years, actually. I planned for this two year, but it turned out to be two and a half years, of just writing. It didn't always come earlier this year when i was in ecuador i was it was like i was depressed i came in march march i barely did any kind of writing i got sick altitude sickness because i'm living in the andes mountains essentially so wasn't expecting that kind of difference in height i spent so much time indoors because i had the wrong apartment at that time dogs were barking you know the the, the, what do you call it? The cars on the streets. It sounded like they were racing. It was just, it was not the best environment. It was raining in my house. Like it was, it was not the best environment for me. So I had to move. And once I moved, it just, it was so much more peaceful. I also realized that I have to have a window with light coming through it for me to actually create and write. I don't know why that is. Can't be in some kind of prison space. It's not gonna work. I have to have access to light and Mm. some kind of nature that's real. So working in cafes became quite um, common for me um, until my budget was saying no, no, no. And then I had to find uh, another place and I found a new place, a new apartment here, and it has like this skylight. So it was great. I could just be at home and just write. It has to be there. I've heard of... I've read about the past authors, the famous ones who would wake up at six o'clock and would start writing. I tried that. It doesn't work for me. (laughs) The ones who say, "Okay, I will do like three hours of writing today, just three hours. I can't tell the writing part of my heart that you have to write for three. It doesn't obey me like that. So I'm very much responsive to my emotions, my sensitivity level and the thoughts that are forming in my head the day that I am writing. Um, I think that's just how I approach it. So I think that's one of the reasons why it took two and a half years instead of a shorter amount of time. And definitely switching from countries, part of this book was written in Malaysia and I did quite a lot of writing there and um, and it was helpful. It was, I was surrounded in nature, but if I were in New York City, I'll get nothing done. It just, I, I have no idea. So for me, that's my writing process. And I know others have other ways of doing it, um, but I, I can't force myself to a schedule or I'll, I'll never touch a paper again. I'll never touch a computer again. It has to be natural and organic.
0: No, I agree with you. And it, it, it is that uh, the external stimuli are very important for um, engendering the whatever is internal. Um, like I would have a, a playlist when I was um, working a lot, many, many more lessons a week than I, than I do now. And I had to travel around. I had, would just constant, when I was writing my thesis, I'd constantly walking around with a huge sheaf of papers, but I had to have a certain playlist. And even now, if I hear uh, Rakhanov's uh, uh, Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, I I'd think I should be writing something. It's just it's it's almost Pavlovian um, mm-hmm. response um, to certain pieces of music, but I I understand your your response to light and nature and certainly nothing you know neg shall we say negative urban noises, <laughs> which which can involve uh, dogs <laughs> and vehicles and things like that. You've you've completed this book, and yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for, first of all, congratulations. I should have said that right at the start because uh, we are um we are connected through Facebook, and yes. I've been watching your updates as you say over the last two years, and you know that you'd done really well, or that you'd, you'd had a bad week, or that you'd completed this section, or that you'd sent it, out. and also your recent. Um, uh, you know, d- getting it finished and all these kind of things. So uh, it, has it, you say there are two more um, books in, in this series. Uh, has your experience of writing this part um, affected your motivation to complete it? Or has it kind of given you extra motivation to, to see the work done?
1: The former! <laughs> <laughs> I am so exhausted! <laughs> I'm telling one of my best friends, I was like, "I don't think I could do this again. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I honestly, I don't know." Yesterday, I was thinking that second book really needs to come out now, really close to this one. But this whole past two months, especially this last month, mm. I have been over this. <laughs> Even today, I'm yet from yesterday to today, I've been trying to just you know upload the book, the finished book on Amazon, only to realize that because I was using Ingram Spark at first to plan the entire book, and their so-called standard page sizes, which are supposed to be global, mm-hmm. Amazon's has standard page sizes that are just like a few millimeters off. Of. I had to re format and typeset the entire book from yesterday to this morning I think I went to bed around four which is why I couldn't send you the manuscript I was just like this is I'm so over this the second and third books I've even been thinking well maybe I can do a different kind of format because one is really CVs and the other one Mm. I'm not Mm. I don't know how I'm going to teach writing in you know a book about cover or sending cover letters so i I'm entertaining different formats of it. Like maybe they'd be video components or kind of online tutorials. I'm not entirely certain, but definitely solid answer to your question. It's definitely the former. I am exhausted, but Mm -hmm. I also know that kind of writing passion side of my heart. Most likely knowing me, especially if I see this book have a lot of good traction on it. By next year, probably March, I'm going to be sitting down at a computer and writing. I just have a feeling it will not be as thick as this book. This book is 431 pages. I'm not even sure what the final word count is. Before, I thought my final word count on October 6th was 80,751 words. I mean, that's how excited I was to be done. I even memorized that total. But... Now I've added some more words and clarified some other areas, so it's a, it's a little bit more than that. I am exhausted. Eighty thousand plus words has taken my entire heart and shoved it somewhere else. I am physically, emotionally exhausted with it. I think it's going to be at least a year before the mm-hmm. CV book comes out and possibly the uh the cover letter.
0: Well, I I understand your point. Ed. It's uh. I think after I'd finished my thesis, I didn't want to read anything or write anything for for a few years. Like any, and even I, not even just reading books for fun. It just felt <laughs> like work. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I understand your point there. And uh, so going forward from from here, I do hope you write the book because then we'll we'll have a, a good reason to have you back on the podcast. Well if people are interested it's so uh, that the best place or the only place to get it is from Amazon
1: No not this one uh, my first okay. book yes this one will be literally wide you can ask it's it should be published physically available for everyone um come November 7th pre-order for the book at least in ebook format starts November 1st and then November 3rd uh Uh, you can order the paperback now with November seventh being the full date for anyone anywhere to get this book you can ask your libraries to stock it which is one of the best ways to get it into libraries because I'm all about you know saving money Two, you can ask your local bookstore and they can order a few copies for their bookstore they just want to make sure the book sells and it's just not sitting on the shelf not selling so you have to ask them for these things Since I'm not famous, that's what we have to do. We have to kind of promote it that way. Or you can use channels like um, KDP, the Amazon ebook thing, the paperback for Amazon. Amazon you can use. um, You can use the Kobo and buy the book there. Barnes and Noble you can buy the book there if you're in the Western kind of countries. Um, You should be able to find it literally everywhere. Now, if there is a place that you thought you should be able to find it and it's not there, send me an email and I will petition for the book to be there, or I'll probably just, I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to um set up a payment system on my personal website where the prices are just a little bit lower, and mm. then you can order one there and one will be sent to you. But with this book, unlike my first book, it will literally be wide. You can, you should be able to get it through any kind of platform. And if it's not there, you should be able to request it.
0: Right. Well, uh, we will try and put out this podcast at, at, at a good proximate time to this release and we'll include as many links as necessary to make sure that people have uh, access to it. Um, the book we've been speaking about today is uh, Swaggart and the person we've been speaking to is Natasha Brody. and uh, I wish you all the best with your mental recovery from the stresses of uh writing the book and uh i also very much look forward to speaking to you again in the future
1: thank you so much chris It was such a pleasure thank you
0: if you'd like to contact the show the best place to find out about us is our website lostincitations.com here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved our hope is to help academics educators and online content producers get in contact with each other Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.